Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his series, God With Us. Today, part two, The Word Became Flesh. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Today's scripture reading is from John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Beth, for reading our scripture today. Now, I'm sure many of you remember Joan Osborne's hit song called One of Us. It's an old song now. Those of you who listen to it for the first time as teenagers probably have teenagers of your own now. But I uh, thought of that song this past week as I was getting ready for this message today because in the midst of the song, Osborne asks, an important question. Let's listen to the chorus. Now, Osborne was uh, asking an important question there. If God exists, does he even know what we're going through down here? And the passage that Beth read to us answers that question with a resounding yes. Uh, John starts out speaking of Jesus as the Word here and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But that's not all that John says about Jesus. He goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God was one of us. Now, last week we focused on what those verses had to say about the divinity of Jesus. 
The Word was God, John said, and we looked at uh, what that means and why that's important to believe. Uh, But we're looking at these same verses today to see what they say about the humanity of Jesus. These words in John chapter 1 say not only the Word was God, but the Word became flesh. Jesus faced all the experiences that you and I face as human beings. He was human physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let's write those things down. You can find your sermon notes in our online bulletin, hillcrest.church bulletin. And uh, the way they're uh, uh, made out for you on your mobile device, you can even fill in the blanks on the uh, fillable PDF that's there. But write this first thing down. He was human physically. According to the Bible, he was human physically. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to his enemies, now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. In Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul used the phrase, the man, Christ Jesus. In one of those rare places in the Bible where we see something about the boyhood of Jesus, we see something about his infancy and we see a lot about his adulthood, but one of those rare passages that tell us about the boyhood of Jesus, we read in Luke chapter 5, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. In other words, he grew up like any boy of his day would through the physical development and the emotional development of childhood and adolescence and on into adulthood. Like any other man, his feet blistered when he walked, his stomach grumbled at dinner time, he sneezed pollen, and just like any other human being would experience. When he suffered torture and when he uh, suffered death on the cross, he agonized and he died like any other human being would. He's human physically. There's a second thing to write down. According to the Bible, he was not only human physically, he was human emotionally. Uh, His his enemies accused him of going to too many parties. (laughs) The Bible tells us that he came, Matthew chapter 11 says he came, quote, enjoying life. Well, that's a human emotion. Several times the Bible said he had the pleasant experience of being amazed at people. That's a human experience. Not only did he have the moments where he was amazed at people, though, the Bible also says that he had his moments when he was deeply disappointed at people. At one point, the Bible uses the word irate. He got irate at his followers. Every one of us who are parents know that that's a human emotion. Matthew chapter 26 says he was filled with anguish and deep distress as he thought about approaching the inevitability of the cross. That's a human emotion. The night before he was crucified, he urged his closest followers to stay close to him and pray with him. He wanted company at his most trying time. That is a human emotion. All of this was prophesied by Isaiah, who said in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah would be, quote, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So he was human physically, and he was human emotionally, and he was human spiritually. You can write this down. He was human spiritually. Now, this is where it gets interesting because some people, even some believers, think that they're being faithful to the Bible to acknowledge that Jesus had these human features, but inside he was really divine, right? Well, according to what we saw last week, he's everything it means to be God. He's fully divine, but he's also fully human. And that includes being human spiritually, as well as emotional and as well as physically. Some evidence of this in the Bible, he sought out strength and wisdom from his father in prayer. That is what you do when you're human spiritually. 
Scripture lets us know that he experienced temptation to rebel against his father's will. The Bible repeats over and over again that he never gave in to that temptation, but the very fact that he experienced that pull of rebellion lets us know that he was human spiritually, just as we are. We have a hard time, of course, imagining that anybody could really be human if they resisted all temptation throughout their lives. But doesn't that tell us something about our human failures instead of Jesus's human success? Jesus was human spiritually, physically, emotionally, everything it means to be human. That must have been what uh, Rich Mullins was reflecting on several decades now, uh, back when he wrote the song, Boy Like Me, Man Like You. Lyrics uh, like his begin where Christmas is and the, and the manger. He sang, you was a baby like I was once. You was crying in the early morning. You was born in a stable, Lord. Reed Memorial is where I was born. They wrapped you in swaddling clothes. Me, they dressed in baby blue. And then he asked a number of wondering questions. Did you grow up hungry? Did you grow up fast? Did the little girls giggle when you walked past? Did you wonder what it was that made them laugh? Did you ever get scared playing hide-and-seek? Did you try not to cry when you scraped your knee? Did you ever skip a rock across a quiet creek? And he says, if I ever really do grow up, Lord, I want to grow up and be just like you. So Jesus didn't just pretend to be human. He didn't take on the guise of humanity. He wasn't walking around wearing human skin like a mask where on the inside he was some other figure entirely. He was everything it means to be human, even as we saw last week, he was also everything it means to be divine. Now, why should that matter? I want you to write three things down. Last week, we talked about the divinity of Jesus, and I told you that there were some important implications that came, came out of that truth. In the same way, there are some important implications that come out of the truth that Jesus is everything it means to be human. So write this first one down. He is our example. Because he's everything it means to be us, he is our perfect example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we read, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The way that Jesus handled mistreatment is the way that we ought to handle mistreatment. Uh, the patience that he showed, the refusal to retaliate against his enemies, the willingness to forgive them, the constant trust in his Father, God, all of those things he displayed when he was facing the torture and agony of the cross is what you and I ought to uh, be uh, experiencing and, and committing to when we go through the difficult and challenging times of life as well. Not only, though, should we let him be our example as we go through difficult and trying times, he is our example in every way. He was compassionate, and he was attentive to other people, especially people who are on the margins of society, and we ought to be also. His relationships with other people are not complicated with jealousy and insecurity and sexual tensions. Uh, he uh, appreciated the opinions of other people, but he didn't let the other opinions of other people sway him. He didn't even let the opinions of his own family sway him away from what he knew he was supposed to do. He was troubled at times because of experiences with human beings, but he, was, he never lost hope, and he was always trusting in his Father, the living God. All of those things that Jesus did are things that we ought to imitate and copy as well. I told you last week that um, when we were talking about the divinity of Jesus, that over the years I found that non-believers struggle with really appreciating the divinity of Jesus, but it's believers who struggle with really appreciating the humanity of Jesus. 
Non-believers have no trouble believing that Jesus was a, a human being, and like other great moral teachers, he left a lot of great moral teaching. But this idea that he was son of God, that's what they, have, that's what they struggle with. On the other hand, those of us, especially who have been raised in the church, singing these songs of the faith and reading these scriptures and seeing the supernatural power of Jesus and all these things we declare to him, we don't declare to any other human being. And so we can easily see him as son of God. We have a hard time really understanding him as being fully human like us. Here's the problem, though. If we don't recognize and acknowledge that he was fully human like us, then we're going to end up jettisoning seeing him as our example, as our model. What do you say when you fail? I, I think most of us, this is our excuse. Hey, I'm only human. But now, if we really understand that Jesus is everything it means to be human, we can't say that anymore, can we? Whenever we fail now, from now on, we have to say, I'm being less than human. Because Jesus was everything it means to be human. Jesus was the perfect example of everything that God wants his women and his men to be. And so from this point on, if we really understand that, when we fall morally, we have to say, I'm not being fully human because I'm not being everything that God wants me to be because I'm not following Jesus perfectly. When we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we become disciples of his. And part of what that means is we start mimicking him and following him and copying his example so that we might become the men and women that God intended human beings to be. He is our example. Here's a second thing to write down. He is our encourager. Now, it would be awfully intimidating, wouldn't it, if all I said was, Jesus is our example, go out and do like he did. But it's an encouragement to know that in addition to him being our example, he's also our encourager. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 4 before, verses 15 and 16 say this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, what should we do about that? Well, he tells us, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What does that mean? That means that when we are praying and we're saying, Lord, I'm tempted down here. My flesh is weak. Lord, I'm discouraged at this moment in my life. Lord, this juncture in my life isn't going the way I thought it ought to go. If we would stop long enough in that prayer, maybe we would hear the voice of Jesus say, yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I know exactly what you're talking about, but hang in there because Jesus is our encourager. Every... Um, week, I send out a devotional newsletter called Winning Ways, and this past week, I sent out uh, that and, and told you the story about a 15-year-old boy, his first name was Douglas, and uh, he was diagnosed with leukemia in his teenage years. He began a regimen of blood transfusions and bone marrow tests and chemotherapy, and over time, he sank into a deep depression. And his aunt uh, in another city I went to a florist to uh, have the florist send him some flowers to sort of cheer him up. And she said uh, to the person arranging the arrangement, she said, I want this planter to be especially attractive. It's for my teenage nephew who has leukemia. 
The boy appreciated the floral arrangement when it came, but his mother later said his face lit up when he saw another card in the arrangement. The first card was from his aunt. The second card went like this. Douglas, I took your order at the florist shop. I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm 22 years old now. Good luck. My heart goes out to you. Sincerely, Laura Bradley. And his mother later recalled as she was telling this story that that changed everything for him. She said for the first time since he had been in the hospital, he'd gotten some inspiration. He talked to so many doctors and nurses, but this one card from the woman at the florist who had survived leukemia was the thing that made him believe he might beat the disease too. Laura Bradley's words of encouragement had authority. Why? Because she had been where Douglas was right now. Those of us who worship Jesus in song, those of us who pray to Jesus in prayer, those of us who study the words of Jesus in Scripture, we draw comfort from the fact that we're talking to someone who knows. One of the memes you see sometimes on social media these days is when somebody says, I feel seen. <laughs> and what they mean is, I feel that somebody understands me, understands what I'm going through, understands my predicament. When we come to Jesus and we really understand who he is and what kind of life he lived, we feel seen. He is not only our example, he is our encourager as well. The opening verses of the Gospel of John tell us the word was God. But he was no Greek deity lounging around on Mount Olympus. The passage goes on to say, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We feel seen. God was one of us. He knows our joys and our sorrows. He knows our temptations and our loneliness and our pain. He's even experienced what it's like to hear no to one of his prayer requests. Have you ever been turned down? Have you ever lifted up a prayer request that didn't get answered? Jesus did. You say, what, what, am I, what am I talking about? I'm talking about that time in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus went to the cross, what did he say? Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this experience. I don't want to die in this agonizing way. And his father said no. And Jesus yielded to his father's will. But Jesus knows what it's like then for us to hear yes and also for us to hear no to a prayer request. Jesus has already experienced that human experience you and I have yet to face. Jesus has already experienced death and gone through it to the other side to testify to us about what is in store for us. Those of us who talk to him in prayer and sing to him in song, we know somebody who understands because he's been where we are. Here's a third thing to write down. He is our champion. He is not only our example. He's not only our encourager. He is our champion. Now, today, we use the word champion just as another, just as another word for winner. Somebody who wins in an athletic competition is a champion. But that's only in this most recent phase of human history. The word champion historically has meant not just somebody who wins in an athletic competition, but somebody who represents us in an athletic competition. And so in medieval times, for example, a champion was somebody who competed on behalf of a fair maiden, who competed on behalf of a kingdom. And in that way, we can say that Jesus is our champion. When he wrestled and fought, and died and rose again in the battle against sin, he was doing so as our champion. He was doing so as our substitute. Earlier, I mentioned from 1 Peter that Simon Peter says that he died for us, leaving us an example. And I focus on the fact that in Jesus' death, just as in Jesus' living, he was our example. 
But you notice what Simon Peter said there. He died for us, leaving us an example. So it wasn't just that he showed us the way to suffer. He showed us the way to live. It wasn't just that he experienced our experiences so he could sympathize with us. That's as far as maybe more liberal churches want to go with their understanding of Jesus. But in Simon Peter, it tells us that he died for us and left us an example. Simon Peter goes on to say in, second, in, a, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. What that means is he was being our champion. He was being our substitute. He lived the human life perfectly. And then he took that moral record of perfection and ascribed it to our account and took our record of moral imperfection and died for it in our place on our behalf on the cross. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that Jesus was the second Adam. Adam came and he failed and left us a legacy of moral failure that we all copy and, 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 and follow him on. But Jesus came as the second Adam, somebody to come and do what Adam couldn't do, to come and do what Israel as a nation could not do. And he came and lived that thoroughly, lived that perfectly. And then we get that record of his moral perfection, and he gets our record of imperfection and dies for it on the cross. He was our champion. He is our example. He is our encourager. He is our champion. The opening verses of the Gospel of John say, The Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Last week we looked at the fact that the Word was God. We looked at the divinity of Jesus, and we saw the fact of it and the practical implications of it. And this week we've looked at the fact that Jesus is everything it means to be human, and we've seen the fact of it, and we've seen the practical implications of it. But we're going to go back to these verses one more time in four days. On Christmas Eve, our Christmas Eve service, we're going to look at a portion of the truth of these verses one more time. I think you're going to enjoy this Christmas Eve service. Uh, all the elements of it in video form have been put together already. I've, I've had an opportunity to review it, and it's, it's just fantastic. I think you're going to particularly like how it closes as we traditionally as a church sing Silent Night together with candles lit, and we're going to do that online this year. You're going to see dozens and dozens of people on multiple screens on the conclusion of this service with their candles lit singing Silent Night together. Church members, current church members, four Hillcrest staff, international board missionaries from around the world, leaders of ministry uh, partnerships that we have with other ministries, all singing Silent Night together. It's just beautiful. One of the things that we'll be doing in this service is, like I said, we're going to go back to these verses, and we're going to look at what Jesus brought to us, fully divine, fully human, and he came and brought to us these two wonderful Christmas gifts that he wants us to open up. Twice this passage says that truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. Those are the Christmas presents he wants us to open up uh, this Christmas season. Uh, that devotional uh, during the Christmas, uh, the Christmas Eve uh, service is only about seven minutes long, and the entire service is only about 25 minutes long. And the reason I mention that is because we have, we have designed this service to be shared online. It might feel a little bit short as you're thinking 25 minutes, that's not very long, but if you think about sharing this service on a Zoom call or with other people on video conferencing, it makes a lot more sense why we created it the way we did. And I hope that you're already thinking through how you can be part of somebody else's life by inviting them into a Zoom call with you and 
sharing this Christmas Eve service. Everything that you need to know about that can be found online, hillcrest.church slash Christmas Eve. Hillcrest.church slash Christmas Eve is where you can go and find the materials to prepare for the Christmas Eve service, and then also where you'll find the Christmas Eve service uh, uh, live cast as well at 4 o'clock or at 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. So I hope that you'll already, this afternoon, get onto that website and start getting yourself ready for inviting somebody else to be part of this service. For right now, though, what I want us to do is uh, go to the Lord in prayer and thank God for Jesus. You know, as one of our Christmas carols says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. That's what we've looked at today. We need to thank God for that truth. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares part three of God with us with a sermon titled Grace and Truth. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.